Welcome back to another edition of the Fried Egg Podcast. Today's episode, I am joined by Luke Reese. Luke is a, the author of a new book, One for the Memory Banks. It's a story about traveling around Scotland and learning to play golf and kind of the culture of Scottish golf and, and golf in the UK, really. Luke, I have known for a long time. I caddied at a club he's a member at. Uh, he has had a long career in the golf world. It started with Wilson Golf, but he has also been the president and chairman of the board of Peter Millar and is currently the chairman of the board of Shoes, the apparel company. Luke wrote this book. He sent me an advanced copy, and we've been planning to do this podcast for a while, but really interesting book for any golf lover. It's got a little bit of everything for everybody. And one of the neat things that he's doing is that he is doing a large donation of the uh, proceeds. $10 from every book, if you use our link, will be donated to the National Links Trust, a organization that we have covered in great detail on the website and the podcast that is just took over the leases of the Washington, D.C. municipal courses, National Parks courses, East Potomac, Rock Creek, and Langston, and are you know, a nonprofit that's raising money to restore those golf courses. So figure that's a pretty good cause and uh, fits well with the fried egg. So we are going to, for every book purchased of One for the Memory Banks, Luke is donating $10 of the $27 book. Uh, to the National Links Trust. And to do that, all you have to do is go to thememorybanks.com forward slash the fried egg. And uh, if you make your purchase through there, $10 of your book will go to the National Links Trust. So without further ado, here is Luke Reese and a uh, story of really his golf life and uh, playing golf in, in the UK. I miss a green, for example. I'm already upset. When I find my ball in the bunker, I'm really upset. And when I find my ball in a fried egg. Fried egg. The dreaded fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg lie. I'm about ready to run off the golf course. Being somebody that's been in the golf business for... Is there anything that compares to this in terms of the demand for playing no no, nothing nothing's even remotely close um i mean this has been i I think right now what we're experiencing in golf is just a people have gotten back to the love of the game and they're playing and they realize it's outdoor it's activity you can do stuff you can be with people you can be socially distant you can also be sort of close to each other um i I think rounds of play are going to stay up I would expect them. I think you're going to get a lot of people who have suddenly realized this is a good game and this is fun and it's a fun place to play. Um, And, you know, I think rounds of play are going to stay up. I think the only question that we'll have is as over time, as people start to get back um, towards having to work in an office, are they going to be able to slip out and play nine or slip out and practice chipping and putting or that sort of thing. And that's, that's the big question to me, but I'm, I think that people have realized that golf is a really good thing to do. Um, I think, I think you hit on one of the things is like, it's a great safe way to spend time, spend time with people and your friends. And that kind of ties into your book uh, that just came out. One for the memory banks, a uh, a riveting read. I think it's, it's neat because you've got, 
you've got golf and architecture chops mixed in with human interest and a story of a great friendship. And I, French golf friendship as an adult is is way. It's like underrated because of how much time you spend when you golf with somebody. I've thought about this a lot. It's like, you know, even my best friends, say I see them once a month now. Uh, and I, you know, I spend a couple hours with them. If I play golf with the same person every weekend, I'm going to spend way more time over the course of the year with that person than even your best friends. It, well, hopefully they become your best friend. Yeah. Okay. Hopefully, hopefully your best friend is the person with whom you golf. I mean, I sort of, I got just incredibly lucky. And I, I guess, you know, first of all, you know, I, I came late to the game. I didn't start playing until my mid-30s. And I was a tennis player before that. Tennis is not a, a place where you play for fun with people. You're hitting the ball at somebody. They're hitting it at you. It's you against them by definition. Golf is sort of a combination of you against the course. And, it's, and, and if it's match play, it can have a whole competitive element to it that can have a fun element to it. And you can celebrate their good shot and at the same time, try to beat it. And I think that, you know, what, where I got lucky was learning to play with some Scottish guys who were just amazing people. And then who cared massively about architecture and who at the same time wanted to play new courses and wanted to play match play. And all three or four of those coalesced into this like perfect boiling pot for me of just an amazing golf experience. And so you know, I count myself as the luckiest guy on the planet because I happened to run into a former Scottish amateur champ and a low handicap elder Scotsman who gave me a golf architecture book as my first present. And, you know, it's a great way to it's a great way to get to get to know the game. Um, and so, you know, back to your comment about your, your best friends, my best friends, the people with whom I'm, I'm texting until 10 o'clock last night about whether. You know, they want to buy the new T300 irons or whether they want the TSI two driver or three. I mean, these are the kind of things that you sit back and look and go, that's the kind of stuff we talk about. And then we're talking about changes to MPCC Shores course and the new pro there. And it's just these are the types of things that that have infinite variety. No one has ever called me and said, let's go play a tennis course at a new place or you know, a tennis court. It's just like. They're all the same. They all have the same measurements, all the same dimensions. And it's just, who am I going to play with? And we might be wearing different outfits, but that's it. And so it's just, to me, golf is just this infinite variety. And then you have the history and then you have the architecture and it's all there. It's just, it's just a, it's a cool thing to do. Yeah. It, it, golf, the course, obviously, I mean, this podcast covers courses. We think courses are infinitely interesting because of that variety. I, Something I really appreciated from your book was reading about how you got into the game late in in life, but then you got a different upbringing than all of us Americans. You know, I always say that I want to denounce my American golf citizenship, that I want to be like a, I want to be a, either an Australian golfer or a, or a UK golfer. And my, all my friends are like, you got to go there before you can even say that, you know, but I, I constantly want to just, I, I, I'm no longer an American citizen. You can, you have a r- legitimate claim. So you were, take us there. You know, I don't want to spoil the book too much. It, take us, you're working for Wilson Sporting Goods at this point. And you, you're working in their European office, and uh, that's how you get into the game. 
Yeah, it's um, so. So, Andy, it's, it's very funny talking about renouncing your American Gulf citizenship. Don't do that yet. But I will say we are so fixated on what did you shoot today? And we are so fixated on the pro game. We talk about the pro game so often as opposed to where are we going to play? And the benefit of the UK is, is, is many fold. Um, you know, number one, you can play almost every single one of their courses as a regular person. You, you just have to write a letter. You have to show up. You have to be respectful. And it doesn't cost that much. So the great courses are open. They're members. They're frequently members clubs, but they're also open to us. The second thing is these golfing societies cruise around and they play there on, on, on different days. And they're always playing the great places. Um, so here's where I got lucky. I was a tennis player, um, played college tennis, blah, blah, blah. And I joined Wilson, which is the powerhouse tennis company. And, you know, those of us from the golf industry don't think of Wilson in quite the same esteem as those from the tennis side. The tennis side, we're, you know, we're essentially the titleist of tennis. Um, and we had this kind of power there. And I came from it from that side. And all the top managers were all tennis guys. And somebody said to me, well, you know, golf in Europe is going to grow. And I thought, I probably ought to figure this game out. <laughs> okay. And I was fresh off of this really disastrous scenario, uh, which I described in the book of playing at Bally Bunyan. Um, before I even knew how to play golf, it was sort of like my third or fourth round of golf in life. And I went out in a 50 mile an hour win in a barber jacket and tried to play at Valley Bunyan. And I was like, why would anyone pay money to do this? It was just a disaster. Um, and it's, you know, and I, chapter two. I feel like that's the scenario that so many Americans get dropped into minus the weather, but it's at a golf course with water. Or re- it's really challenging oh. for beginners. <laughs> and, and it's like, why do we, why do we do this? It, people should play from tees that are way further forward. They should play easier golf courses until they can handle them. And none of us can hit the heroic shots we watch on TV. And so it, to me, this is just sort of the funny part, but I'm in a meeting one day in, in my offices in Munich, and I'm basically a, 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 a young sales rep. And, and I asked some guy to critique my swing. And uh, he, in his Scottish brogue, goes, you know, as a, and, and he sort of pulled the whole crowd in. This guy had that like presence. He's sort of like the, um, you know, a combination of Winston Churchill, Arnie Palmer type personality. Everybody listened to everything he said. And he pulls me in and he goes, young Mr. Reese. As a golfer, you'd make a fine salesman. Now, here's my tip. And then he gave me a tip, which is basically never touch the grip of a club in front of a golf pro. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Just basically, you will lose all credibility the moment you try to address, try to waggle. He said, they'll know you don't know anything about golf. Okay. And the whole crowd just cracked up and everybody thought it was funny. And I was sort of like slightly humiliated as this young sales. Because you're trying to go sell, you're trying to go sell the, sell clubs. So you can't even grip them. Yeah. And I'm trying to sell clubs and, and and I could speak languages and I could tell people like how wonderful this club was and why the off center hits went straight and everything else, but I sure couldn't actually do it. And uh, so I, I was like, Oh my God, uh, this guy's humiliating, but it was sort of, it was funny at the same time. And the next week sitting, you know, showing up in a little package, this is before FedEx and all these kind of things, a little package shows up and it was Donald Steele's classic links of the UK. And it was a book and it was a little note from this guy. 
And this guy was like 17 years older than I was. He was a senior sales manager. And he sends me this book and just says, start reading this book. And, and I was like, oh my God. And there's a, fr- a picture of Turnberry on the front, on the front. And, you know, just, and he just, he told me what page to turn. It was his home course, which is basically Western Gales. And he's like, you know, come learn about golf and learn. This is where golf is really played. And I was like, okay, I could figure this out. I'll, I'll, I'll get it. And then I just became fascinated. And over the winter, I just started reading more and more about this thing. And then James Dodson's book, Final Rounds, came out about that same time. And To the Lynx Land with Michael Bamberger came out. And I was like reading these books and I'm like, this is authentic. This is real. And it's like, and it, it appealed to me. It struck this chord that was so much deeper than anything tennis had ever done. In tennis, we'd sit back and talk about how labor used to beat Rosewall. But that was it, okay? And you might beat him on a different surface or something. But in golf, it was like, wow, Bobby Jones played here specifically at this course. And this is where he shot the perfect round. I'm like, well, let's go play there. Let's go try it. Let's go see what happens. So it was a chance to actually do what the pros do, what, what's happened in history. And for me, Lynx and UK golf just appealed to every aspect of that. And obviously I was lucky because – we had a factory in Irvine, Scotland, and Irvine is right next to Western Gales, Glasgow Gales, Royal Troon, Prestwick, you know, just down the road from Turnberry. You can play a lot of good Lynx golf. And, and, there, and there are 10 courses I didn't name that are phenomenal. And so we would just sneak out after work every day, you know, six o'clock at night, and we'd get 18 in and then go to dinner. And I just, that's how I learned how to play. And uh, so it was always fast. It was always fun. It was always match play. Never kept track of the score. So you don't get debilitated by having by shooting a nine on a hole. You just pick up the ball and you've lost the hole and you move on. So I, I think the match play is so critical to that because like the the concept of you're out of the hole, you just pick up and you get to move to the next one and it only costs you one is yeah. so, so valuable to a beginner. Like it's so the penalty of a bad hole is so much less if you play match play as a beginner than as as a uh, as stroke play. It is Andy if you if you take stroke play, you ruin a round with two bad holes. If you take match play, it's 10% of the round, okay, or roughly. You know, it's a little more than 10%, but not much more. So it's just like two bad holes. It's just two it's two points against you. And that to me allowed me to, to, to get to move along and start focusing on trying to make pars as opposed to worrying about making a quad. Okay. And you know, a bad score just didn't matter because literally you just pick it up. It also, um, it's funny. And it's what, it's one probably a problem that I have in golf. I don't putt nearly as well for a birdie as I do for a par. Loss aversion. Uh, you know, it's just because it's, it's exactly right. Cause uh, so you know, if I'll sit down, I've got a 10 footer for par, I guarantee you the ball's going to go slightly past that hole and it's going to have a little more direct line. If it's for birdie, I'm like, eh, whatever you do, don't make bogey on this hole. Okay. You know, so it's, you know, it's, it's just, that's the match play non killer instinct where you're just like, okay, for a half, I'll ram this thing in for a, for a, for a victory. I'm going to make sure I get the half, you know, so that's sort of the, and, and I also played with a guy who was a world-class taunter. I mean, his, if you've read the book, you know, mm-hmm. Bondi was able to get in your head on every single putting stroke, every single time. And he could do it in the most subtle, 
you know, classic British way, but he'd say things and you'd sort of go, is this uphill? Is it downhill? Is it left to right? Is it right to left? Uh, what happens if it goes too far past? So anyway, it was, See, it was nothing but fun. You're making me miss, uh, I haven't played a good match in a while and, and I, I miss being those subtle ways, the sneaky subtle ways to just kind of rattle somebody's cage. They're, they're, they're the best where they don't even, they think you're rooting for them, but, but oh, you're just, oh. you're just getting a little bit in their kitchen. I mean, it's just sometimes like some of the things that that guy would do. And, and I just still laugh. It's like, He'd give you a gimme, but make you wait for a second. It's like icing your kicker in, in football. And, but everybody knows you're going to ice the kicker. The kicker's like, okay, are they going to actually use this timeout or am I going to have to kick this one? And uh, in putting, once you've been given a couple of putts early on, you get you, somebody gives you a four-footer you know, early on instead, instead of having to make it, and especially if it's a straight uphill four-footer, you give it. Now, suddenly – you know, on about 14 or 15, you go, man, don't you wish you'd practice those four footers a little more, you know? And, and it's just, you're like, Oh crap. I hope I don't miss this one. You know? So that's uh, it, just, uh, yeah, it's uh, the, that's like a perfect example of, of golf is, you know, playing, playing and stroke play stuff. I always, I didn't like having a five footer early in a round, but I always liked if I had one and I made it, I felt like it was going to be a great day because it like, yeah. you feel like you just, you get, you're, you're in the right mindset. That's the thing that match play could do is that you could get thrown off because you just don't put any of them. And then you're on yeah. your heels all day. Well, and you're standing back in match play and, and the Scots are world class at this. They're really good at giving generous gimmies early on. They, they just don't make you put early things early on. And then they slowly tighten the vice. It's like playing against a python. You know, they're just, they just wrap themselves around you. And all of a sudden you're like, I'm, I actually could win this thing. And now you're like, God, I hope I don't give myself a four footer, a testy four footer. And certainly not a left or right over the little downhill. Um, you know, those are, those are, you know, the, oh God, I don't want to do it. I don't want to go past, you know, for a victory. And then mm -hmm. uh, suddenly I have to have a comebacker for a half. So the anyway. psychological aspects of putting are just unbelievable. So I, I'm curious. As somebody who who writes occasionally, I moonlight as a as a writer on my website. I don't wouldn't say I'm regular on it anymore. But uh, you're not a a writer by trade. You've never been one. How do you just sit down and write a book? Like what what did you do? What preempted it? And uh, and how did how did the whole process of actually writing a book go for okay. you? First of all. Hang on. Shame on you. You are a writer. I enjoy your headlines and your wise ass stuff. I enjoy it. I don't even write. I don't even that. write that anymore, though. Okay. That's what well, who wrote, whoever wrote Nobody Beats Cockrack 233 <laughs> times in a row. Gets okay. I that was a belly laugh for me. I, I, I've opened it up. I have my cup of coffee. I look over and I'm like, OK, that's just funny. OK, so. So don't tell me you're not a writer. It's not me. Or, that was well oh, nice. <laughs> okay, I'm, well, I'm like a once a month contributor at this point. But, but then guess what? You're a great editor. At, at a minimum, you're a great editor. I don't even edit either. That's okay. Garrett. Well, I've taken myself completely out of the writing. That's why it's improved. Then you're a world-class <laughs> manager. Okay? Something. You're doing something right. Because if it were wrong, it's your responsibility. Okay? You are Mr. Friday. So if it comes out under your tagline... Guess what? It's, it's great. So um, back, back to writing. Here's the funny thing. If, if you look, we all know 10 people at any given, any given club that are just funny people. We just know them. We all, we've all played with them. We all have a good time. Everybody's like, oh, that's the kind of guy you want to go play with, or that's the kind of woman you want to play with. And so 
everybody has that group of people. And if you're paying attention and listening to all the funny things that are being said, you realize that in a course of a lifetime, you have a bunch of people who, a bunch of funny events and a bunch of funny things that will take place. I got lucky. And I mean, just incredibly lucky to have like this Arnie Palmer type figure. I mean, you know, that's what Bondi was. He was just this otherworldly, larger than life and funny, funny guy with a really classic wry Scottish humor. He was that funny Scott. And, and there can be very serious Scots. And he was both determined and serious, but always funny. Um, and so I, he and I sat down and we would play these matches. And basically, you know, we started in life with me being, you know, well below him. And then I became his boss. And I think that gave him even more fun to go beat me on the golf course um, because a Scott would never, ever disrespect his boss by trying to like lose. So it's, customer golf's not going to happen. So I basically started writing these stories down 20 years ago. And every time he and I would leave a course, you know, I would turn and I go, you know, Bondi, listen, you're, you're a lot older than I am. You're not going to remember this stuff. So I'm going to write these things down. And so I'd write down where we played, what was the match result was, any great holes, any funny things that happened, any funny things he said. And it was usually funny things he said, not I. Um, and I just sat down and sort of wrote them down one time, just on a piece of paper. And I'd write them down as, you know, as I'd fly home after matches or after, you know, wherever. Um, and I had them all. And then obviously, you know, I left, you know, I, I spent some time sort of turning them into pseudo stories. Mm-hmm. And then obviously, you know, I don't want to ruin the book, but something pretty dramatic happened last year, last summer. And I thought, I need to turn this into a book. And I need to make it, make it an actual book with a whole a cohesive set of stories with a beginning and end and whatnot and make it a journey. And, you know, sort of, you know, with a Heming, you know, I, I probably have a Hemingway type style in the sense that it's very short and sort of punchy. It's probably the sign of not a great writer. Um, and no, that's, that's, that's what I learned. I was a terrible writer when I started. I learned if I make it short, brevity is an unbelievable skill that, that more people that give wedding speeches need to follow. Brevity oh, is the greatest, yeah. greatest trait in writing and in speeches. I, I think you're right. You know, as, so, you know, as, as I looked at it, the writing was just fun and I wanted to have a blast writing this thing and just having a good time. Um, and it was, so I wrote the stories and I, and I tried to make them sort of fun and amusing stories, but also stories that would tell on several levels. I wanted to tell the story of Bondi. I wanted to tell the story of Angus Moyer. Um, but most of all, Bondi, because Bondi is, was that seminal character in my life. He's the guy who made me the golfer I am. And I would say several people who've read the book now say, so that's where you picked up all those tricks. Like that's, that's how you became the match player player you are. Um, and so that's sort of the fun part. And I think that if I look at, you know, how I wrote it, it was for that. Then my second aspect was I wanted to give most of all American golfers a sense of what UK golf is all about and how they play, what they do. And then I thought, look, there's a travelogue aspect to it. And that's, I don't want this to take place where he and I go play the same course over and over and over again. And I just tell those stories. I thought, let me go take you around the UK to a bunch of courses that a bunch of us haven't heard of um, and haven't played. And Andy, I'm shocked that you haven't played anything in the UK as a separate topic. Um, we're, <laughs> we're gonna, we're, I, got, I, got, I got questions for that well, later. Well, we're, yeah, we're, we're going to remedy that one. Um, 
But so I thought, okay, let me do that. And then as I was in there, I thought, okay, how do I make sure that I actually show the difference of a Lynx course? Because they look from pictures the same, an Irish course, an English, you know, Irish golf, English golf, and Scottish golf. And that's why I used Hammy McAnally, Laddie Lucas, and Joe Carr as my three sort of examples of what prototypical Irish, English, and Scottish golf would be. Um, yeah, let's so. drill into that a little bit. How would you, in, in short, short, you know, classify each of them for the lay person that say somebody that's um, never been. Okay. If you've never been, never been, if you're going to go to any one of the three. So first and foremost, if you're going to go to, to any English club, take your coat and tie. Okay. Make sure that you do not make the mistake of walking into the clubhouse in your golf shoes with your baseball cap on and a pair of sunglasses on top of your glass. You know, fact, just don't do it. Um, you've got to walk in, you come in in a coat and tie, you take, you go straight to the locker room, you put your stuff in, you walk around, you go have a, a, you know, a cup of tea or a, a cup of coffee, you admire the golf room, you look at the golf locker room, you figure out all the stuff and all the history. It's, it's an ambiance. It's all about, you're actually, it's sort of like going to Eastlake or something like that. You're actually seeing the Bobby Jones club. Um, and every single club has some amazing amount of history there because it's where the game started. Then so there's play. a lot of there's a lot of extracurriculars involved after. before and after. And and then they go out and they they beat the crap out of each other in match play. And they either play, you know, as two balls in match play, sometimes four balls, and or they play alternate shots. And you go play, then you come in, you might have lunch, you shower, you put your coat and tie on, you have lunch, then you go back and put your golf clothes back on, and then go back out. And so you're sitting in a fancy dining room, usually having some form of it's not a vegan type diet. Um, you know, this is roast beef plus more roast beef plus more roast beef and, you know, some potatoes and some gravy. Um, and then that's England. And at night, it's very civilized. It's very sort of old school. Scotland, on the other hand, has some semblance of that. I would say I always would take a blazer no matter what. But at the same time, I, I don't recall that often putting a necktie on. You're going in. The Scottish clubs are a little more, the Scottish you know, people are just a little more rough and tumble than the average English people. Um, and the character that I talk about, Hammy McAnally, is a guy who basically is, you know, he just wants to beat you and he wants to have fun. And he wants to wisecrack as he does it. Um, and Scotland, and I'd say Scotland golf would be a, still the same aspects. It's still much more civilized. It's still much more coat and tie. But at the same time, it's very, very open and very public. It's, like, it's like casual Fridays. It's, it's sort of casual Friday, but still in an office atmosphere. <laughs> then Ireland is just flat out fun. And in Ireland, if you stop 10, you know, 10 minutes before the course and ask, where is Port Marduk Golf Club? You will, you, you'll be late for your tea time if you have to get there within a half an hour. Because they'll stop and go, where are you from? And the <laughs> next thing you know, you're just like, well... Well, so would you know the, the Killarney? You know, so-and-so from there. Well, they're from Killarney, but they originally came here. And the next thing you know, you're, you're stopped. I mean, I've stopped where people have said, what do you think of my horse? And I'm like, are you serious? <laughs> and, and the next thing you know, you're on their horse taking pictures. And it's just Ireland is – they just love life. And, you know, I describe it one time in the golf. They play golf fast, but it's definitely an hour slower than the Scottish golf because – the Irish just can't stop talking in the middle of the round. They just talk. They talk during, before, 
after the swings. They just have fun. And, uh, and it's just a good, much more convivial atmosphere. I would say course-wise, the biggest difference is Ireland tends to have higher rough because they got more rain. And it tends to get a little unruly. So I tend to like to play there in the spring or in the late fall once they've cut it back a little bit because it's just the balls are, you know, taking your width and angles, Andy. It can get a little tight sometimes. In I've read that they, they've kind of fallen victim to the of, of what happened in America with, with thick, rough, and narrow fairways a little bit. And a lot of courses could stand to widen things out a little bit. This is just I, from what I've read and, you know, talked you know, with people about. Let, let's put it this way. I, I'm, I'm a member. I'm lucky enough to be a member of Port Marnock. And it's just the most amazing golf course. Uh, I, just, I just love playing it. But having said that, I, I went and played it before they held the British Am last year. And I'm like, I've had enough of this course. <laughs> you know, it's just like, you know, and I consider myself a reasonable golfer. I, you know, four, four lost balls in. I'm like, I've never, I haven't lost four balls in a round in, in a long time. And balls were just going into the rough and they're gone. Um, so it just all depends, you know, when they get a lot of rain, if they don't cut things back, it can, it can get pretty tough. Um, so that's, that's sort of the fundamental difference of the three places. Would you say that the the golf courses, the aesthetic style, kind of mirrors the the people too? Like where you on the you know Irish side, you've got definitely the most rugged golf, um, and kind of that would probably be a good way to you know kind of bucket the the on the scale of the people. And then and when you get to England, it's the neatest golf and the most formal. Would 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 that kind of uh, fit on a sliding scale you say that, that's i hadn't thought of it that way but i think the courses would be you'd be more manicured you'd have more of a of a manicured look in england in on balance and especially with the heathland courses west of london you know the whole that whole you know london heathland area um you know with sunningdale st george's hill swinley forest they just have they're beautifully manicured but they look very very natural i mean harry colt did an amazing job of making natural looking courses um, and I would say in Ireland, they can be rougher and tougher. Um, and in Scotland, they're a little more threadbare. Um, and you know, my, one of my favorite courses in Scotland, I mean, obviously I love Royal Dordic, but I love playing Brora, um, which is up there. And Brora is just, it's sort of a combination sheep, cow pasture that happens to be this world-class golf course. And, you know, they don't have a lot of mowing. They don't have a lot. It's just very natural. And you're out there playing. And, you know, they've got the little wires around the greens. It's just it's it's just a little bit more of a natural get out there, go play and then get back and, you know, go go find some respite from the elements. In a way, it seems, you know, just from a casual onlooker, it seems like, you know, this ties to your book and how you got involved, you know, into the game of golf was that Scotland just offers a much more informal uh, version of the game than we see in America. Well, it's from it's, a variety of ways. But well, part of it's cost. Part of it's just the cost of playing the sport. Um, you know, if you want to play, you know, I mean, I, I follow the Friday, you know, routinely. And you know, you if you look at the courses that you've described in the last, let's call it, fifteen days, um, how many of them are places? that wouldn't cost somewhere around a hundred thousand dollars to join. You know, they might be 60, they might be 80, but they're, they're it's real money. Mm-hmm. And then you have other ones that are a little less expensive. That concept is almost unimaginable in Scotland. 
um, you know, the vast majority of courses are going to cost you $2,500 to join, if that, and they're going to cost you 600 pounds a year. Um, it, it's just it's just not much money to play. It's designed, it's sort of like being a member of the public park. Um, and so Scotland has that much more natural, open, and the person you're going to play with could be anybody. It, it just you, So you're, you're united by a love of golf, not by a commonality of what your profession is, then happen to have a love of golf. And that's sort of a, a different aspect to it. I'm curious. This is just a, a question I didn't think we'd broach, but I, when you were working for Wilson, how did club sales compare in Scotland per, say, per capita golfer of equipment spend there versus the U.S.? Was it significantly less or about the same, or do you do you even know that? Well, no, no, no. I, I know it quite well. Uh, Scotland has never been the kind of place. If you want to go make money. Scotland's not your place to go. <laughs> Selling things to Scots is not the way to get it. Um, there's still people will still send me a 1958 Dynapower wedge and say, you know, can I get this thing regripped? You know, and I'm like, uh, it doesn't have grooves on it anymore. Uh, that that's no longer a wedge. That could be a putter if you just straighten it out. Um, so, you know, at some point, you know, I, I, my biggest fear about my book is if one copy will make its way all the way around Scotland and everybody will read the same book and it'll be one book. And so I'll sell one. Um, <laughs> so it's just, you know, I had a friend who called me and goes, Oh yeah, I love the book. Uh, I, I gave it to a friend and he gave it to a friend. I'm like, no, 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 no. You're not supposed to do that. I'm like, you're supposed to keep it, tell him about it. And he's like, but then I wouldn't be lending the book. And I'm like, okay, my publisher's not going to be terribly happy with this process. You're supposed to tell people, buy the book and take it with you on your next trip. So that way you can read it while you're there. Okay. Anyway, so that was my little plug for buying more books. <laughs> Hopefully some people will be interested to buy it. Uh, I, I've read it. I really enjoyed it. It was a, uh, you know, for me, not going, not having been there, it, it gave me, the thing I liked about it, it gave me a, a deep lens into not just the golf courses and, you know, you had some excellent commentary on almost every golf course that I, you know, could think of, but um, it also gave me a lens into the culture and just, you know, it got me thinking a lot about, you know, just how different the culture is there and how, how, how different of a golfer you would be if you grew up in that situation playing there. Like I grew up playing golf with my dad at a local Muni, you know, my upbringing in golf is a lot different than somebody that maybe grew up playing uh, Riviera every day. Like that, we're we're drastically different. We think about the game differently, um, yes. and and it's not neither one's right. But growing up in Scotland, like what you just said about the equipment, like that equipment is such a focal point of American golf. And there, it's it's an afterthought. You know. It, well, okay, so uh, if you touched on like three or four funny items there uh, that, are, uh, that are shocking and amazing. Um, you know, number one, you know, as Bondi would say, we got, we got our first set of clubs before we got our bike. Like, you know, we in America sort of get a bike. You get a bike, yeah. you got trade sales, this thing. They're handed a little mini set of clubs. And I was talking to Scott Kirkwood, um, at, uh, who's the new pro at, at uh, MPCC. And he was like, you know, I used to be a bartender at the old clubhouse, which is in Chapter 12 in Gullen. And he's like, we all grew up playing those little Lynx courses. And they all grew up playing these little Muni courses where you're walking around and you're playing them and you basically just have fun. And the little kids with the parents and there's little signs that says no adults allowed. So kids are sort of just having fun 
doing it and playing it. That's that's number one. Um, I think the second aspect is, you know, we all grow up, you know, one of the problems we have is a, a lack of time. And a lot of people say, okay, if I only have a certain amount of time, I'm going to get over to Scotland. I might get two or three trips in my life over there or over to the UK, over to Ireland. And if you look at it, they say, okay, well, then I, if I'm going to be there, I have to play the old course. I have to play, you know, Carnoustie. And they've got to play where the Open's been held. And so you suddenly find people who are just tracking a very, very familiar rota. And now what you've got well, is... It's, there's the thing where people like playing golf that they then see on TV. Like, it is, it enhances your viewing experience no matter what, if you're familiar with the golf course. But, you know, there's also drawbacks, right? Well, and, and, and to me, that's the wonderful aspect. I think the biggest key is if you're going to Royal Dornick and you don't play Brora, you've just made a mistake. You've missed a real gem. It's sort of like, you know, Andy, you do an amazing job of just talking about things like Cedar Rapids Country Club or, you know, you know something Davenport Country Club. You know, I wouldn't have gone there if, if you hadn't talked about it, okay? And we're talking about world-class golf courses. Mm-hmm. And Brora is one of those world-class golf courses that happens to be 27 minutes from the, you know, the first tee at Dornick. To get up that close and that where and not play it is just crazy. And when I had you a, go to, I had a moment like that yeah. last week. I was in, uh, I was, I was driving to Prairie Dunes from uh, the new King Collins course, Landman, and I drove through. Yeah. I on the way down, I had to drive through Lincoln. And at that point, once I drove through Lincoln, I realized I'm as close to the sand hills of Nebraska as I can get. Oh, <laughs> so you, you, so then I went to Prairie Dunes. So in the back of my head, I said, I, "I'm pretty close to Wild Horse, and I really want to go see that place." Now, granted, it was five hours, but well, you, I can't it, get closer. Well, once once you're in Lincoln, Nebraska, okay. First of all, you've just driven by Omaha Country Club, mm-hmm. missed a great one. And then you say, okay, now four and a half miles from there, I could actually get to the turnoff where I turn right and I get up to Sand Hills and, and Dismal River. So you've got like amazing courses. The problem is that's a long way away. And you're right. It is close. I look at these courses in Scotland and say, if you're going to be at these places, Bonnie and I were always like, let's go play all the fun places that, that we want to play. And, you know, we were lucky enough to also work there. So we were able to go play them after work. So I, I think that, you know, one of the crucial aspects for people is if you have enough time in your life and you have an opportunity to go play over in the UK, play a whole bunch of these hidden gems. That's part of what the book has is I didn't just write it about the, you know, the courses where they're holding the open. I wrote about a bunch of courses that people haven't played. And I specifically chose events that took place with Bondi and me at places that would make you say, I'd love to go to Makri or Makrahanish, or I'd love to go to this course and play it and realize that it's off the beaten track. And you can go play it multiple times, multiple rounds for no money. All right. So give us a couple other off the beaten path ones. You've got obviously uh, Brora, you've got Makrahanish, uh, Makri. What, you know, if we, if I was, if I was going on, you know, my, I was supposed to go to the UK this year. Um, but that, that obviously got derailed, but say I'm going, where, where should I be going? You know, my first well, trip over there and what are some, 
some courses that might not be Rota courses that you absolutely cannot miss? I know that's a massive question. Is that, that, that question is so massive, and, and all I'm going to do is screw up by not including a whole bunch of things. Yeah, exactly. So, so, so Andy, I'm designed to get in trouble. I'm probably going to get kicked out of a whole bunch of accounts once I don't mention them, which is a real problem. Um, so if we think about Lynx Golf, I think you first and foremost, it's an obligation, if you're really going to be serious about, about understanding Lynx Golf, to play some of the classics. You gotta go play the old course. You have to have played like a court Carnoustie. I think playing Presswick, playing Turnberry, playing Troon, playing those courses are great. But while you're at it, make sure you play any one of a number of uh, little courses around there. There's peppered around by little. I, it's shocking that I would say Western Gales. It's not little. It's a world-class golf course that's right near Royal Troon. And you can play it. You're there. You're in the course. Um, you know, people now. North Berwick is no longer a hidden gem. It's it, it probably was a hidden gem 20 years ago. There's nobody out there who cares about architecture who, who hasn't seen it or fantasized about playing the pit or you know some of those holes. And who talks about the Redan? So I can't call that a hidden gem. But I'd say if you're going to go to that area, you play Muirfield, which is just a top. 15 course in the world without question. Then you play North Berwick, which is another top course in the world. Then you probably should play Gullen, number one, number two. You probably should play number three. Then you play Dunbar. Um, and then if you can get on, I'm joking, uh, Luffness New. And uh, obviously, you know, chapter chapter 12 discusses playing Luffness New or not playing it. Um, so to me, every single region has its two or three rock stars and then has a whole complimentary list of great courses right around there i would say any golfer who hasn't played royal dornick is you're going to suddenly understand a whole bunch more about donald ross if you do it and it's not that it's not a donald ross design course it's where he grew up and he it influenced him and i think that when you look at dornick and you look at the greens you're like wow it's a real departure from st andrews St. Andrews, the ground game plays quite heavily in. I mean, you can you can putt from way off the green. At Dornick, there are a bunch of places where you could, but a whole bunch of places where you sort of have to fly it in and maneuver the ball. There's a lot more sort of a combination penal links style um, to, to a Dornick. And then playing Brora, Golspie, and frankly, a modern masterpiece, which is Castle Stewart. Um, you know, you got to play those. To me, this is a, you sort of almost have to view it in chunks. Yeah, it, it's a, um, you know, what you're talking about mirrors a lot what happens in America with the lists, you know, where, yep. oh, this course is on the list. And to be, you know, I, I, I'm lucky I get to play a lot of great golf courses, but to, to me, the greatest thrill to this day is when I go, just when I find places, when I find somewhere where I don't think, you know, I, I'm pretty sure nobody's really ever written about or, you know, recent one was like this place, Eagle Springs, which you moved away from Chicago since nine holer. And I remember being there, gone there when I was a kid and I went back and, and I mean, it's just got, you know, a couple, another buddy had told me like, even if you go just play the first two holes, it's worth it. And I, I went back and, it, you know, it's just like an unbelievable spot and it's got, it's much more, you know, you're going to pay, t I think it's right now 13 bucks to go walk. But, you know, you're going to go hit some shots and have like some exhilaration 
from the game in a different way than you experience at any top 100 golf course because they are they're just different challenges that can be presented by these you know it, and I think that's the thing is is getting outside sometimes the comfort zone and and going and seeing the new places even if it's not on a list you go if it stinks whatever you know well you, you you've invested 13 13 bucks in America you invested four you know four hours and in Scotland you've invested three. So it's just it's just not that much. I mean, you know, you, Andy, you know, have talked about Lawsonia Links or, you know, places like this. I, I wouldn't have gone to Lawsonia Links, you know, other than, you know, golf magazine panel. I'm being a golf magazine panelist, but it's I would have naturally just gravitated there. I start reading about it. And I'm like, I got to go try it. I go up and play it. And I'm like, holy crap, this back nine is world class. You know, just, just, there's some amazing golf holes there. And so, well, the more, the more time you spend there, you start to, you start to think that the front nine might be better than the back nine. And that's the crazy thing. I, I, I think I probably, I can certainly say, you know, holes, you know, we're not going to get into a specific debate on, you know, holes two, three, four, (laughs) five. But I think that, you know, the approach shot on number two is like one of those, I I fantasize about hitting it right now. Um, and, and so I'm like, gosh, I like hitting it down. And I know it's got a left to right, and a back to front slant, you know, slant, et cetera. And I think I three putted. Um, but it's just, you know, as we think about these great golf courses, I look at Scotland and say, the amazing thing is there are a hundred courses in Scotland. You could drop me on right now and say, go play for the next three hours in a match with Andy and go have a blast. And we'd have a blast. And we'd find great parts of them because a whole bunch of these courses were built so naturally and they use the land and they're just different and names we don't even think about. And, you know, I would say go buy Donald Steele's classic links book. Um, It's just a great one. Um, And it's sort of a companion piece to a degree to one for the memory banks. It's just, as you look at it, it's the, it's the course guide that I used and that Bondi and I would use to go pick out places. And of course he knew every course, but it's what we would pick. And, and we would sit back a lot of times as we were setting meetings and say, well, okay, we have our budget meeting this quarter. And he'd say, where do you want it to be? <laughs> and I'm like, well, how about we go South West England? And he's like, you're fancy in Burnham and Barrow and Travos, are you? And, and I said, and something. And he's like, how about Royal West, you know, or Devon? And I'm like, Yes. And so we would go play three or four of these courses and just and, and you, you walk away and go, if that course were 25 miles from New York City, you wouldn't be able to get on it. It would be a private course and it would be one of the most coveted courses anywhere. And yet yeah. it's sitting out there in the middle of nowhere. I think about that all the time. Whenever I play in a golf course, I'm like, God, imagine if this was around Chicago, because like Chicago is like the great desert of public golf like you know we have a few courses but for the most part like you put something in in chicago that's like you know uh, a really great public course or something from scott it's just like god that that place would charge 250 dollars, and you'd never be able to get a tea time and you wouldn't be able to get a tea time it would just be the place that everybody talks about and i look at it and say okay or from another lens if it were a private course on the north shore of chicago you wouldn't be able to get in yeah Uh, you'd now be looking at it going that course is that good. It's just sitting in a remote location or somewhere else. And I think that in the UK, you know, I, I, I received an email today from somebody from Warpleston Golf Club. And 
I, I was the old like, Willie Park. It's an old Willie Park course, and it, it's where Joyce Weatherhead won like strings of mitch, mixed foursomes. You know, where you're playing alternate shot, male, female, and you know she's obviously the best female player, and she won it with her husband and a bunch of other players like seven or eight times in a row. Uh, but I was like, it's just like one of these amazing courses, and yet we only talk about five or six courses west of London, but there are probably sixty that would be considered shockingly great if they were sitting right near New York City. Yeah, I, I, one I I, uh, I fancy is uh, Brancaster. Brancaster. So Bonnie and I played a match in Brancaster, and uh, the moat, the actual, we played it, and we were a little bit slow, and the water came in, and the moat was broken. So we got stuck on the wrong side of the gate, which is actually the right side of the gate. So we had to miss our meetings, and we just said, Okay, we're here. Let's go play on the right team. So I've actually been in that like weird situation where you, you go over a drawbridge, which is sort of old English. It makes you feel like Robin Hood. And you're not that far from Sherwood Forest there. And I'm like, okay, this is sort of fun. And we get over there, and all of a sudden they're like, oh, the bridge is being repaired. And I'm like, we're like, well, you can't drive over, so we're here. Let's just go go back and and you know and and I'm I'm always willing to play an emergency 18 if you want to put an extra round in so there we go so uh, with uh you got one trip left say you got one trip left where where are you going where, that, what, uh, that what is, region that is flat out not fair i don't think i can answer it there's no chance there's no way I, I I refuse to acknowledge that I've got one trip left. I'm not going to do it. I well, um, let's, just, let's just say okay. we're, you, it's, it's, your, it's your last trip. You you've done you've hit everything up in the last five years. What's the place you're going back to? Uh, is do you want me to go to Lynx Golf or do you, I mean, we're I up, mean, it's up to you. You're you're the one. Okay. You're the picking. Oh well, okay. I'm first of all, I haven't been in New Zealand for a while, so I'm going back to play Tara Edie Golf Club. Okay, <laughs> that's. That's basically heaven on earth. So if if I'm going to get stuck on one last trip and be stuck there for the rest of my life or for eternity, I'm taking Tara Edie. Um, if you haven't played it, it's it's a doke masterpiece, just built. Everything is natural. Andy, in the world of uh, it's a links course with just more hospitable climate. So it's sort of like the winter weather is like maybe Sea Island or something, and the summer weather is like Maine. Um, and it's a links course and it plays like a links course a hundred percent you're bumping and running and everything else so that would be my place um if i heard new zealand described as basically california with a tenth of the population sounds just wonderful uh, it's i think it's bigger than california and it's it's yeah that's exactly right and it's just uh it's a combination of mountains and vineyards and beautiful english countryside and volcanic rocks off the side and then insanely nice people. I mean, these people are, they're so nice. You think they're, you know, coming from a big city. You think they're actually out to fleece you at first. You're like, <laughs> you can't be that nice. Okay. And then they are. Okay. They're actually that nice. Um, so to me, New Zealand is the place where you want to be. By the way, when you're in New Zealand, there are no poisonous snakes. There are no big animals. There's nothing. It's not like Australia where there's no, co- no coronavirus either. Well they, well, they got rid of it. They were, they're, yeah. they're, they're actually able to follow rules. Like when the government says, everybody shut up and go sit in your room for, you know, th- for three weeks, they just do it. And three weeks later, they all come out and they're like, is it gone? Yeah, it's gone. Okay. And, you know, 
And so they just behave differently. And so they're all out playing golf and they're with each other. They don't have masks on anymore because they don't need masks. Um, but it's because they don't, why they don't have snakes either. They don't have snakes either because they don't let them in. Now, yeah. <laughs> things, they, they were a bunch of rule abiding people. When the ships went from England, you know, all the hard chargers said, we're going to America. Okay. You know, everybody was like, I want to go make my way. I want to go to America. They went and did it. Then a bunch of ships said, okay, you're a bunch of detainees. You know, you're, you're in prisons of some sort. You're going to Australia. And so it's a rough and tumble place. It's a prison colony. And then there was this little group that went off to New Zealand and said, don't tell anybody about it. It's just this <laughs> wonderful place. Let's be quiet and let's just be really, really nice. So that's, a, that's, that's where my trip is. But back to one for the memory banks and, uh, and Scotland or golf. I would say if I have one trip left, I would probably actually do a tour and I would go chapter by chapter of my book and I would actually follow where Bonnie and I played. And I would probably just do it. I would start, I would, I would probably start at London Links and play our replay with somebody, our match there, uh, where he taught me, you know, some certain rules and where I lost. Then I'd probably go out and do, you know, Western Gales where I had the opportunity to, you know, the two of us huddled in a bunker in the middle of the snow and we're both scared to give each other like a half because we're like, we're all squared. We're, we've only got a couple holes left, but we can't even see anymore. The snow's covering us over. Um, then I, I think Makri and Makrahanish was this island trip off the west coast of Scotland that was just this dream five-day trip because you've got distilleries and pure golf and no one else there. And you could just, you could just go around and around. You could just keep auto-looping. And, you know, we were playing – somewhere between 45 and 54 a day. And uh, as you know, I, I tried to par hole number one at Makrahanish, which is probably one of the best holes in the world. Then to me, after that, I'd love to go back to Wales and play Southerness. Um, it was just a dream trip uh, where my ancestors are from. Well, and, I, mean, I did a bunch of research on Ian Woosom, <laughs> and I'm, I'm enthralled by the people of Wales. They seem like the, the, the best. They're, they're, they're just... Um, very natural, very call it, you know, just, just call it as it is. Um, they're very straightforward. The golf courses of Wales are phenomenal. And if you if you only can play one course in Wales, go to Pinard. Mm-hmm. Um, it's now I, I know they Royal, used to Royal have, Porth call, crawl. People are going to be all over you. No, you no, 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 no. Royal, <laughs> Royal Porth call is, is just the class of Wales in terms of the best golf course. I'm just saying, if you could only play one time, if you go to Pinard, you're just going to be shocked at just how natural it is. See, it's that's just, great advice. Go go play Pinard rather than you know potential open course. Well, okay, and I don't mean to say don't play fourth call. No, but if you have call. one, see, but that's a good that's a good piece of advice. You forced me into one course, and I, but I would go play ten B. I'd go play fourth call. I'd go play you know Southern Down. They're all amazing, amazing golf courses, and so I just love being there. And, uh, you know, to me, that whole tip and then then you just slip right around the coast. You've got a bunch of great ones on, on the West Coast. There are a hundred great golf courses to play. Um, and obviously, Bondi and Angus and I had a great match at Royal County Down. Um, and, you know, Port Marnock is another one that I'd want to go play again. Port Rush was amazing. Um, so to me, I can't make one final trip. I know that's an incredibly long answer and I was absolutely evasive there. Sorry. 
That's that's uh that's good. That's so we've talked a lot about your book. Where can people purchase your book? Um, the book is uh, available on, on Amazon. It's called One for the Memory Banks, and it's not about me. Um, it's essentially about the people who taught me how to play. And it's it's I don't know how you describe it, Andy. Would you say sort of a part travelogue, part yeah. human interest? I think um, I think it's, there's it's a it's like a you you've got the the friendship story and in golf like it's going to pull on numerous bones in your golf body it's going to pull on your interest in discovering courses and learning about courses but then it also has the the story to go with it that's going to keep your interest and in, and in really uh you know it even it pulls it pulls some emotions maybe i hope so. well yeah. if 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 it doesn't pull your emotions to the end, yeah. you're a human being. Okay, that's uh, you know. I'm sorry. Uh, hey, I just didn't I, want I had... people to feel bad if it didn't. No, yeah. no, no, no. But I, I think you're gonna laugh. You're gonna laugh for 18 chapters, and then you're gonna cry. Um, and you know, one of my one of my good friends called me back, and he's a surgeon, and uh, he said I laughed out loud, chapter after chapter after chapter, and I said. And did you cry at all? And he goes, no, I'm a doctor. <laughs> and I said, what? And he said, I get sad about dogs or horses or things like that. And I was like, oh, my God, I don't want you handling me. He goes, no, you want me handling you because yeah, I can be out of, you know, <laughs> there. So um, I, I think, you know, this is it's a human interest story, but it's it's absolutely something that I think will be a book that you hopefully will read a couple times and make you want to go play these courses. And that that to me was one of my big missions. And play these courses in the kind of style and realize that we just had a lot of fun. And frankly, we're lucky. Um, you know, it's just a, and, and I think it's a, it's a wise ass book. So it's definitely, I don't think, I think there's at least one course that I'm not getting in. Um, if I don't think they'll want me as a member, um, after mm. I described it a certain way, but that's okay. Hey, you know, their loss. Uh, well, I, I can say that, but um, so it's available at, at either thememorybanks.com or on Amazon. Either one's available, and uh, frankly, you know, I'm just uh, I'm thrilled to have gotten it out. I'm thrilled at the early response to it so far. Uh, the the publisher has just gone to a second printing. Oh wow! Uh, so he, he had congratulations. We, thank you. We we've had a whole bunch of people who've bought like one and then bought five more and said, "I'm sending it out to my friends. I want them to." To, to get this one or I want to start planning a golf trip with them. So that's, uh, it's been, it's been sort of fun there. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm enjoying this journey and this ride and I've had, had, I've been blessed in my, my career. So I had a chance to, to write this. All right. Well, thanks so much for coming on Luke. And, uh, I look forward to everybody reading your book and, you know, maybe we'll, we'll have a uh, part two when I finally get over there. Andy, you are more than welcome. And uh, you will you 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 know where to go. You know how to reach out to me, and I will gladly take you around a bunch of these places and actually experience play, play some can, matches. Well, we can we can play some matches. I'm I'm not sure I can play against you. I think you're a little better golfer. Um, well, that's what I'm, the handicap system's for. I, I well, stink now. <laughs> I'm okay, a, okay. I'm I'm a, I've been the worst I've been in a long time. I'm. I'm sort of that, like, you know, I think in the UK, I'd probably be a five. In the US, I'm like a three. And, and I'm like, I don't know how somebody's calling me a three. It's, it's, it's not right. So I, uh, I'll i go with my UK five handicap and, and play. But then they only go three quarters difference to the handicap. So it's, uh, 
All right. Thank you. I've got new technology. (laughs) 